The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Today's episode has been made possible through the generous support of Bright Peak Financial, an award-winning not-for-profit supporting Christians on their journey to financial strength. Go to brightpeakfinancial.com to make your dream happen. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. The Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet, with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. I want to thank you all for joining us today. I'm very glad that you're listening. I want to thank you for liking Spirit of Recovery Facebook page, liking us there, and thank you also for sending in your emails and letting me know what's happening for you in your spirituality and recovery walk. And thanks for letting me know that what we're doing here on Spirit of Recovery is blessing you, that you are enjoying the guests and getting a lot out of that that you are definitely experiencing richness in your growth through uh, what you're hearing here on Spirit of Recovery. And so I want to thank you also for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community, your unity community, your uh, other spiritual communities, your friends and your family know about us here on Spirit of Recovery. I am so grateful to have the opportunity to broadcast on the topic of spirituality and recovery here on Unity Online Radio. And um, it's, it's just a wonderful gift. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down to earth, knowledgeable and innovative. My guests are always people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people. And they're bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions to get you thinking. You can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen live via your computer or via your smartphone. You can also uh, listen on your Alexa-enabled device, and Alexa is um, an app that is hands-free, voice-controlled. You get it from Amazon, and it allows you to play music. get questions answered and so forth you can listen to uh, any of the unity online radio programs including us here on spirit of recovery on your alexa enabled device you just ask alexa to to play unity online radio on tune in so you can listen that way 
You can also listen to our uh, archives on demand. We've got lots of podcasts. Simply go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash spirit of recovery and you can listen anytime. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place, and if you're a person in recovery from any kind of an addiction, uh, or maybe you're a family member or friend of someone that's got the disease of addiction, and maybe as a family member, you're in your own recovery as a family member, because family members have recovery programs as well, or perhaps you're just curious, interested in the uh, recovery process and addiction and uh, what all that's about and how people recover. Maybe you're just looking for information. Whoever you are and whatever your um, situation, I'm very glad that you're here with us on Spirit of Recovery. Glad that you're listening and you're welcome to participate. Um, you can ask questions. You can email in or call in a question for my guest on the topic of the day if you'd like to. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity Minister and also an Addictions Counselor. And in addition, I'm a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people that have the disease of addiction. And 35 years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And my walk continues to be an integration of unity principles and recovery principles. And that keeps transforming my life and keeps me growing in ever deeper ways. So, again, I'm just delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you and to hear what you're experiencing in your spirituality and recovery walk. Our topic today is the gift of a broken wing. And, you know, in recovery, what we find out is that what was broken actually becomes our greatest gift because we learn that we really can't find our security by trying to make the outer world all perfect and, and, you know, get all the ducks in a row. And we start to realize instead that we have an inner life and that true strength really does lie within us and it lies within those genuine supportive connections, those relationships that we make with other people. My guest today is Davis S., and he is a person in long-term recovery from a serious addiction to prescription opioid pain medication. And Davis uh, has a wonderful journey, and he's going to be sharing that with us today, his journey to sustained long-term recovery and um, how he had an amazing counter, encounter with a monarch butterfly and how that brought him the courage uh, to really embrace his life and the courage to keep going forward. Um, at age 50, Davis, uh, following a suggestion that was made by his treatment program counselor, returned to graduate school and got two master's degrees in counseling. And he is now employed as a drug and alcohol counselor in an effort to bring hope to those people who suffer from the disease of addiction. So, Davis, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you, Anna. Thanks for having me. For sure. It's really, really good to have you on and, and good to talk with you today. Thanks for being my guest. Thank you. So, yeah. Would you share with us a little bit about your early journey um, into recovery? Because um, like for many people, it's there's some different pieces to it um, on your way to sustaining long-term recovery. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. It, it began long before I actually had the encounter with the monarch. Uh, it, I first got into recovery in 1984. I had a uh, serious addiction to alcohol and uh, marijuana. And I was seeing a, a psychiatrist at the time who had actually been my pediatrician when I was a little boy and had gone back to medical school and got, done a residency in psychiatry. And I was pretty desperately unhappy at that time, as most people who are deep in their addiction are. And he made it abundantly clear to me that he thought I had a problem and that I needed to um, give AA a try. Um, and it just so happened six blocks from his office was a a big AA house in St. Paul that's uh, very well known. It's known as Uptown. And uh, so I walked down there one evening after visiting with the doctor and walked into my first AA meeting, and uh, that began uh, actually an 11-year journey of sobriety and recovery from alcohol and marijuana. Um, really a, an enlightening experience for me. I really got very involved in AA. And uh, 
along the way there, I uh, had a really bad car accident. Um, driving home from work one night, somebody hit me from behind and knocked me across the median on the freeway, and I was hit head-on by another car. I managed to break my neck and break my femur and a few other bones, and um, that kicked off a, a, a long period of recovery and a great deal of physical pain. And, of course, as people know, when you get physical pain, doctors prescribe pain medication. And I learned very quickly for me that that was a, a dangerous place to go. And the next 10 years after that were punctuated with trips to rehab, um, ever-increasing problems with opioids, um, culminating in my uh, my really finally crashing in 2005 and, and losing everything that I held dear, including my uh, career at a, at a large corporation that I had been at for 15 years working in human resources, uh, my marriage of 25 years, and um, my role as father to my beautiful two young teen daughters at the time. And uh, I enrolled in treatment at Hazelden, and that began the journey that now brings me here today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what um, what was different for you. Like, as you say, you'd been in long-term recovery from the use of alcohol and marijuana, from the addiction to those drugs, and then the opioids really kicked in, that, that, that an addiction got going again, and we hear so much today about the opioid crisis. So right. tell us a little bit about how that happened or what was the progression like, I guess, is my real question. Sure. Um, you know, it began innocently enough. Um, I was having uh, trouble with headaches, and they were related likely to the, the problem I had had with my neck, and the doctor prescribed, uh, innocently enough, a, a drug called Darvaset. And I think the first time I took it, I thought, my goodness, I've, I've come home. Um, I felt like every molecule was right with the universe. And within three months, um, I was um, buying drugs on the Internet. I was going to multiple doctors and soliciting prescriptions. Um, a whole host of behaviors that people who've been addicted to opioids, prescription opioids in the past can relate to. And that uh, I finally one day um, said, this is enough. I need to, to stop. And uh, I checked myself into the first of what would then become four rehabs in 10 years um, in order to get that under control. But I kept going back. And it was always triggered by some episode of pain, um, Always legitimate. The pain was real. I'm sure that my brain magnified it a great deal because lurking back there was this um, addiction, you know, raising its ugly head. But it was never, uh, you know, something that I I didn't think about. Um, I was aware that this was an issue, and, and I thought I could take pain pills and be okay, and, and I just, I'm not one of those people who can do that. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was there, I mean, today, hopefully the, the medical community is more educated, and I know there's a lot of effort right now to make some shifts, but did it seem like the, the medical community didn't understand and kind of just kept enabling the addiction or just didn't get it? Yes. Or, yes. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think they do get it, and I'm not sure they get it yet today. I, one thing you may not know, Anna, is my job now is, I actually am a drug counselor in a chronic pain clinic. Um, Great. Mm -hmm. An old friend who, in recovery, was working there as a psychologist, invited me to come to work because he knew of my background. And Mm -hmm. I think the people there get it, but your average doctor on the street who's dealing with people all day long and maybe not that many pain patients really doesn't appreciate the dangers involved. And I think there are some judgments made based on character and quality of person that, well, this person could never have a problem when I'm here to tell you I have seen 
75-year-old ladies who have lived a beautiful life who are out on the street buying heroin because mm-hmm. they their doctor finally cut them off from their pain pills. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's a insidious, ugly thing, and I think the what they call it is iatrogenic. I think the doctor actually fuels the addiction without meaning to, um, and that happened in my case several times. Mm-hmm. And that's not to blame the doctor. That's what's right. clear here. I, I'm the addict. I'm the one who had the problem. I'm the one who manipulated the situation. They're simply following their Hippocratic oath. They're trying to help. Right. So I don't, you know, I'm glad they're getting the education now, but it's not like I hold them accountable for my bad behavior or my unfortunate behavior. For sure. Yep. So as you're working in a pain, as you say, one that's working with people that's a pain clinic, but but trying to help people like yourself that uh, are addicted to pain medication, what's the approach that's taken? Because as you say, people have legitimate pain. So what do you do when people come in to that treatment program or what's the approach? Well, you know, there's so many things that people can do um, to manage pain without pills. And I think people are not very well educated on this, and it took me a long time to learn this myself. Part of it is just living a healthy lifestyle, and that's been a challenge for me to um, eat right, sleep right, exercise, work my spiritual program, um, and just do the things I need to to care for myself. And a lot of my pain went away when I started to look forward rather than back or stay more in the present, if anything else. Um, There are medications that are non-narcotic that are very effective that help people when they do need medication. The meditation, yoga, relaxation, um, a number of things like that, Uh, chronic pain program similar to AA called Chronic Pain Anonymous Hmm. is getting started all over the country. Uh, where I'm actually about to sponsor a group in Edina, Minnesota. And uh, this is an opportunity for people to sit down and talk with others who understand exactly what they're going through and try to do it without the without the uh, aid of narcotics. Mm-hmm. So people can find that. Go ahead. Well, let me ask you this. They can just... find that on the Internet, like it's Chronic Pain Anonymous. Is that correct? Yep. Okay, yep, great. that's right. Wonderful. Good what, resource. One, go ahead. One thing, I'm, sorry, I was no, just going to say, is the, the research is very clear. Um, there is no evidence that long-term use of opioids is an effective way to, to manage pain. And, in fact, the evidence is pretty clear that, if, it, if nothing else, it creates more pain. Hmm. It's very hard for people when they're in the middle of that to see it, but... You know, I don't want to turn this into a discussion about chronic pain, but this is something I learned, and it was quite an eye-opener for me when I when I saw this in place and I began to see the number of people who behaved exactly like I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things – well, let me ask you this. I'll back up a little bit. And, again, uh, just curiosity because uh, it, when, were you continuing to work an AA program while you were in the midst of – becoming addicted to the opioids or or not, or how was that working? Yeah, I, I would say half-heartedly. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back on it now, I was want to miss a lot of meetings. I was too busy with other things. I was pursuing a career. We did have two small children um, within 18 months of each other, and anybody who's gone that road and tries to work full-time knows that Life gets tough at times, but I I did not put my recovery first. That was the foremost thing, and I have learned through trial and error and hard trial and error that that my recovery and my spiritual relationship need to be fundamental to my daily life, or I will not um, stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just the way I'm wired. Right. Would you share with us some of the things that you do to keep your recovery front and center? Keep it first? Absolutely. Sure. Um, I First thing I do is I go to two AA meetings every week, very religiously, um, and sometimes a third when I have time. But I make sure that I do those two. 
Um, I meet weekly with my AA sponsor, who's been my sponsor now for over five years. Um, meet with him weekly for at least an hour, and we usually talk another time during the course of the week just about how life is going. Um, as he says, are you getting your meetings? Are you doing your prayers and meditation? Are you doing the next right thing? Are you being nice to people? Um, you know, are you being the guy I know? I know you can that's, be. That's important. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. Um, some other things that I do, I, I really do try to make sure I get enough sleep. Uh, I sleep is so critical to mental health. I think the tie in there, and I don't think they've even really truly appreciate how bad it is, but I see so many people in my work that are anxious and get so little sleep, and it just precipitates all kinds of uh, depression and anxiety and, and uh, fuels addictions. I'm convinced that there's a huge correlation there. So I try to get a good eight hours every night. Um, I work out at least three days a week. I go to the gym and work out for an hour. I'd like to do more, but... Um, that's, you know, my goal right now is just three days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I get up in the morning, and I'll be honest enough to say that the first thing I do when I get out of bed is I, I actually only kneel on one knee now because the other one's too sore. <laughs> 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 uh, and I ask my higher power to keep me sober that day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's pretty much the extent of my prayer. And then I just say, thy will be done. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And then at, at bedtime, I hit the knee again and say, thank you for keeping me sober today, and I will be done and go to sleep. Uh-huh. That's great. You know, I think sometimes I, I see this in myself. I, I can get so caught up and, oh, you know, have to do this, that, and the other thing in some kind of complicated way. But it isn't complicated, is it? Recovery is not no. complicated. No. I think my counselor at Hazelden told me it was, you know, it's a – a simple people, a simple program for complicated people, um, and we make it hard, but it really isn't hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I I think a lot of it's just intuitive self care that that some people just really understand, and then some of us in recovery never quite got that message. So. Mhm. Mhm. So, are there other? Um, uh, what was I going to ask? It just went out of my head. Anyway, other things oh, I do. There, or, go, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I I really try to make an effort to do some twelve step work. Um, meaning, I give back to the community. You could argue that the work I do is giving back, and and on some level, I suppose it is. But I don't count it as such. Um, so I try to do things like being asked to do this, um, speak at meetings, uh, get. One meeting I go to a half hour early and I'm a greeter, um, help break down the chairs, um, make the coffee, whatever it might take. It's just simply giving back to the program and to other alcoholics so they can appreciate and addicts can appreciate that there is a good life out there for them. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it matters that whole uh, willingness to be of service and just to be a person, just what is it, be um, one, a fellow among fellows, That that's really so key. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. In addition to the what you're talking about, the Chronic Pain Anonymous group and AA, of course, and I know there are obviously many 12-step programs, are there other uh, 12-step programs or other peer support programs for people that have addiction to opioids or, or, or that are trying to manage pain and not use opioids or what are what are some other resources that are available for people well one of the one of the big ones of course is narcotics anonymous um which is you know the companion to aa and has their own big book and everything else and those those are wonderful meetings for people who've been addicted to opioids or heroin or any of the like um i really encourage people to try those it's a it's a great program and i did it for many years um, I don't know if, honestly, if there's a heroin anonymous or if there's an opioid anonymous. I suspect there is somewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if not, somebody better get on the schneid and do it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's time. Yeah, it's time. Well, um, 
I am going to ask you another question here before our break, and then it is a little bit off of the completely personal, but I think it's important because it's been so much in the news about the opioid epidemic. Is it you did talk about that about you've seen, as you say, you know, elderly women that uh, who would think, but they're out there on the street right. getting heroin. So, what do you see happening with with that? With that, is it, is I, it an epidemic? Well, is um, are people really doing that in in larger numbers when they can't get the prescription opioids? They're really, I mean, that's the story: is people are going to to use heroin because it's cheaper and easier to get. Sort of. Is that a my, fact? My yeah, my belief is that there's kind of a pendulum with the whole thing, and that it swings back and forth, and it, mm-hmm. it's based on at least part prescribing patterns uh, regulated by physicians and by the American Medical Association. It's important to note that the Center for Disease Control, CDC, just came out with guidelines uh, advising U.S. physicians that the only time opioids should be used is immediately after surgery or when a person is suffering from terminal cancer. Mm-hmm. I and saw that. You know, very, very stringent recommendation. Is there a crisis? I guess the data says there is. Mm-hmm. Like all things, I think that's subject to interpretation. Mm-hmm. I certainly see people pandering for drugs. And, you know, mm-hmm. I will say that of the patients I see, it's not all ones who are addicted to opioids. I see people use alcohol to manage pain. I see people use marijuana to manage pain. I see people using cocaine and methamphetamine to manage pain. Um, so it, it's not just limited to the opiates. Mm-hmm. So for me, I guess anyway, and you, you tell me how you see this, Davis, but it seems like the takeaway is if you've got, if you've got chronic pain, find some ways to, uh, manage it that don't include drugs. I think you're safest that way. Mm-hmm. And I think what I would do is I would I would research. Uh, there are a number of pain clinics in any large city, and I would research the pain clinics and ask them what's their approach to using narcotics for pain. And if they say, well, that's our first line of defense, I'd hang up and thank them and hang up and dial another number. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's I'm an addict. I, I, I see it that way. Uh, there are certainly people who take narcotics on a daily basis and are successful. I think it's a, a dangerous and, frankly, in some ways self-defeating proposition. I think those people end up having more pain than the, the drug takes care of. Right. Like you said, the data shows that it actually in some way, I guess physiologically, literally increases the pain, even if you're not, quote, addicted. That's so, right. Mm-hmm. hmm That's right. Yep. Yeah, so, yeah, you know, when you're talking to him, thinking about just overall, for all of us, you're talking about a healthy lifestyle, and in the end, that's that's kind of the solution to a lot of things, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you know, and the other thing I guess I forgot to mention is I think it's really important for me to be able to say and my peers to be able to say, I hear you, you're not alone in this, I know you're suffering, we will try to help you. Mm-hmm. And I think when people hear that, um, sometimes the tears flow because they feel like they've they're all alone, and that's a scary, scary place to be. Right, right. Davis, thanks for sharing with us. We're going to take our break right now, and okay. um, when we get back, what we're going to hear, we're going to hear your beautiful experience with the monarch butterfly and uh okay. here's here's some more about all that so listeners thanks for being with us our topic today is the gift of a broken wing my guest is david davis s who is a person in long-term recovery from serious addiction to prescription opioid pain medication and he is talking with us about um recovery from that and about his amazing uh encounter we'll hear that when we come back his amazing encounter with the monarch butterfly and what it means to really have hope in recovery so we'll be right back stay with us on spirit of recovery If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. 
visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. I'm Dr. Tom Shepard, host of Let's Talk About It on Unity Online Radio. In my studies of world religions, I've repeatedly encountered two central spiritual questions. How do we make sense of life, and how do we live it more successfully? You're invited to explore these two questions with me in my new book, The Many Faces of Prayer, How the Human Family Meets Its Spiritual Needs. You'll be amazed at the remarkable ways people have learned to pray to their gods and to celebrate life individually and as communities of faith. Learn more at unitybooks.org. So there I was, staring at a closet overflowing with clothes, practically bursting at the seams in their polyester prison. I had ten minutes left to get dressed, and the stress was kicking in. Are turtlenecks still a thing? What about rhinestones? Where did I get this? Oh, my leggings from 1987. Ah, the scarves are attacking me. Sound familiar? Declutter your life and your closet with the Simple Living Challenge. It's a free 14-day challenge with powerful daily assignments to help you find more balance, freedom, and joy in life. Just go to simplelivingchallenge.com to sign up. Ooh, a cowboy hat. The benefits of spiritually conscious living start now. For a time-tested method to live with purpose and release your infinite potential, tune in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. I'm glad that you're listening with us. And if you're just joining us, our topic today is the gift of a broken wing. And our uh, my topic is about the idea of when we uh, feel find that brokenness, that in, in recovery, that really becomes our greatest gift. And so we find out that instead of trying to make life work by putting all the ducks in a row, that when we turn within and find that uh, presence of our higher power and find our inner life and find our connections with other people, that that's the real strength in life. And my guest is Davis S., and he is a person in long-term recovery from serious addiction to prescription opioid pain medication. And he's sharing with us today his journey to sustained recovery and how uh, he encountered a, a wonderful monarch butterfly that brought him a lot of hope. Um, Davis is also uh, a drug and alcohol counselor. He has two master's degrees in counseling, and he is working to bring hope to those people who suffer from the disease of addiction. Before I get back to my conversation with my guest, Davis S., I invite you to join me for a brief moment of meditation, of uh, sharing a constructive idea, and making that conscious contact uh, with your higher power. So I invite you to relax, to let go, and let God, to let go, and allow yourself to open your mind and heart, and share with me this constructive idea. My higher power's love comes through the broken places in my life. I let go and receive the gifts My higher power's love comes to me through the broken places in my life. I let go and receive the gift. And so we take just a moment in the quiet.
Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute. And I trust that it was an opportunity for you to relax and open up to make that conscious contact with your higher power. So now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, Davis S., and we're talking about the gift of a broken wing. So, Davis, um, when you were in treatment, you had an experience with uh, your counselor that really set you on this path that you're on now of uh, working with other people professionally as a drug and alcohol counselor. Tell us what happened. Sure. Thank you, Anna. Um, it was my last day uh, at treatment at, at Hazelden, and I was being transferred to a facility out in western Minnesota to spend another 90 days in uh, intensive treatment. I ended up uh, 19 months in institutions to get back to where I needed to be so that I could get back into the day-to-day life. Um, and she said to me, as I was getting ready to hop on the van to drive out there, she said, uh, look, you've really come a long way, much further than I expected you ever would. Um, I think you give wonderful feedback. Do you know we have a graduate school here, and would you consider coming back as a student? I think you'd make a wonderful counselor. Well, that was really a gift on many levels, and it it planted the seed. Um, I had fully just intended to get back into my career in human resources on some level, which had never been uh, necessarily a conscious choice anyway. It was just a job that I managed to do and do pretty well. And uh, I started thinking about it, and the more I thought about it, the more going to the grad school appealed to me. And about six months after I got out of treatment, uh, my mother had been in uh, uh, a memory care facility. She had uh, serious addiction to alcohol, and it had really basically destroyed her kidneys and her memory. And she, we brought her home to uh, basically to die and she passed very suddenly. And uh, when uh, she passed, of course, we all stood to inherit a little bit of money, and I took that money and I thought, this is the opportunity I need to go to school. Mom died from alcoholism. This is a gift from her. This is the timing is right. I don't have a job, and this will pay for my education just barely, and uh, let's do it. So I enrolled, and Got started in this career, and that was nearly 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I, interestingly, I was just going to share, I think I mentioned to you during the break, just one of those little stories that I, I love. Um, when I was in treatment at Hazelden, the counselor had said to me, she said, one of the things I think you really need in your program is a good uh, sponsor, um, somebody that you can really be accountable to and can really work the steps with. She said, do you have anybody in mind? And I said, well, there's a gentleman at a meeting that I go to rarely, but every time I see him, he seems to have pearls of wisdom. His name is Bill A. And I think that asking Bill A would be a a really good idea. And she said, well, write that down and plan on doing that when you get out and go to that meeting and talk to him. So duly noted, I was walking down the hallway not more than five minutes after that conversation. Who comes walking down the hall but Bill A.? (laughs) and uh, he was there for uh, what they call Second Sunday at Hazelden, which is uh, outsiders come in to spend the morning and hear some lectures and have some food. And I sat down with him right then and there and asked him to be my sponsor, and that was a wonderful relationship for four years until he passed rather suddenly from a heart attack. But uh, the man was a big part of my early recovery from uh, this whole opioid thing. So mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. just wanted to acknowledge that my higher power does work in sometimes more, more less than subtle ways. So. <laughs> uh-huh. That's good. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. So. so tell us about the butterfly. All right. Well, um, once I got out of treatment in the sober house and halfway house and aftercare and everything, I was um, I had separated and divorced from my wife of 25 years, but I wanted to be close to my daughter, so I rented uh, uh, the lower half of a duplex in the same town where we had raised them, and it was 
spring, May, my favorite month of the year when the days are getting long and warm. And one evening, I walked out into the backyard, and there was a huge swarm of monarchs. And it's not unusual to see them in May. That's the time of year when they, they gather. But, I mean, I, there were hundreds of them. And I was just kind of in awe. The sun was starting to set, so they were there were these shafts of light you know, shining on them, and it was really a, an incredible experience. And on a whim, I just held my hand up to see, held my left hand up, well, what will happen? And, well, one of the butterflies, and they were a good, you know, 25 feet away from me. And almost instantaneously, this butterfly landed on my hand, and it had uh, a broken left wing. It was com- completely clipped off. And it sat there until really my arm got tired and I started to lower it and then it flew away. And I thought, wow, that is just really cool. So the next night I came home and I went out in the backyard and there weren't so many butterflies out, but there were a few and I held my hand up and what happened but the butterfly landed on my hand again. Um, And it was the same butterfly. I mean, it's same broken wing. It was impossible to miss. Mm -hmm. And... Every night, almost every night, at least when I was home, um, that butterfly landed on my hand. Uh, wow. I would go out at, at sunset, and it would be there. It was like it was waiting for me. I mean, I don't you know what this meant. Um, I felt touched by the spirit of my mother, who had died about a year before that. Um, it was when I was just starting grad school, so I was really struggling to keep myself sober and and maintain a relationship with my daughters and and just learn to live by myself for the first time in my life. And this butterfly just, I I came to look forward every day. I couldn't wait to get home and see if he would be there or she would be there. And I actually named her Mary, which was my mother's name. Hmm. Um, And then come one day in August, I went out, and I hadn't seen butterflies in quite a while, but I had seen Mary just a couple of days before. I held my hand up, and nothing happened. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I did a little research online that August is the time when they begin to fly south Mm -hmm. because they they go down to the city you're in and (laughs) even further (laughs) for the winter and spend the winter in Mexico. And to me, it was just, my God, if this, this butterfly with a broken wing could fly off to meet its destiny, by God, I don't care how many fractures I've got, I can do the same thing. And that just gave me so much inspiration. It's, it's really hard to imagine. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful experience. So it was for months. It was several over several months that Mary came. May, May, May to August. Yep. Wow. And then never saw her again. I was there. I went out the next spring, and there were butterflies again. But I held my hand up, and nothing happened. So the the window had closed. Um, mm-hmm. The the message I could take from it was a, just one of hope. And I have come to believe in my practice that people need two things: they need to feel safe, and they need to have hope. Mm-hmm. And that gave me a tremendous amount of hope. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, I love that. That's a really amazing story. It's like your higher power was giving you what you needed. I think so. I think so. I, you know, not surprisingly, the butterfly is the symbol of recovery in Al-Anon. That's right. Um, so... And you know, I'm a I'm a good Alan honor as well. I've done Alan on for many years as well. I forgot to mention that. I uh, oh. I haven't d- done that recently, but there was a time in my life where Alan on was probably a more critical program than AA for my spiritual growth. Uh-huh. Got what a, did got a ton? What, what'd you get from Alan on? What how was it helping you? I felt like the program that I was in, it was actually held where I worked. Um they sponsored it and held it over the lunch hour, um, was a complete and total acceptance of who I am, that I learned to stop fighting and I learned to surrender and that surrender is actually, you know, the paradox of recovery is that, that it's empowering, that when you let go, 
you become filled with this incredible strength. But you don't see it until you stop fighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Al-Anon was a, it was a tremendous program for me. I really saved my bacon at that point. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. And for listeners, that's Al-Anon Family Groups, which is for the friends and family members of people that have the disease of alcoholism or addiction. And you can look that up online, too, to find uh, meetings in your area. Al-Anon Family Groups. Mm-hmm. So, Davis, how do you, um, either in your own personal recovery groups or in your professional work with, with people that are in addiction treatment and pain management treatment how do you help people have that sense of hope and um, that sense of safety um that's a good question Anna. i want to say some of it's just it flows naturally from just trying to be the most uh, sincere and honest person i can be uh it seems to be also a gift from my higher power um, every morning before I start, I ask my higher power to imbue me with strength and courage and wisdom and to share that with the people who need it and who are open to it. And I just try to be as welcoming as I can. People need a, a place to talk. They need to be able to share what's going on in their lives. They may think it's mundane. They may think it's not. I happen to think that everybody's got a story, and that, frankly, they're all fascinating. I, I enjoy meeting people, and I just—I've never met a person who's bored me yet. Mm-hmm. So, by being w- welcome and open that way, hopefully that that gives them a sense of safety and security when they when they start to talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the hope—you have to be a little more conscious of that because you do see people who've been really beaten badly by life and by circumstances. Um, you have to be able to help them find what it is they want to be hopeful about. It's really about what's going on inside them and what's what are their values and where do they want to grow and simply telling them that we can get there if we work together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you've really done that. Um, in, in a sense of your professional life, I mean, what you said earlier, Davis, was that although your career in human resources in a corporation was successful and you were good at it, but it hadn't really been a conscious choice. And it, I, from course, all that you've said, and we were students together um, at yes, Hazelden we Graduate School, um, that you made a real conscious choice to be uh, a drug and alcohol counselor. So how's that affecting you? How's that different for you now in your career? Interesting. I, you know, it, it's almost, your career is such a big part of life, and I think we maybe we put too much emphasis on it, but I can tell you in my 30s, I floundered. I, I struggled. I, I felt that it, I wasn't doing what I wanted to be doing, and it, it wasn't important enough, and it didn't bring any meaning to me, and frankly, I was kind of a whiny pain in the ass. <laughs> Uh, at least that's what my ex would tell me. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, but it, it, once I stopped fighting, and, you know, that gift from Vicki, the counselor, uh, to say this is something that I could see you doing, I, I really, I had hardly ever thought about it. I think the thought had crossed my mind once a long time ago that I might be good at something like this, but I never dreamed that it would be quite so fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And from that aspect of my life, truly all aspects of my life, but especially my career, I feel completely whole. And, I mean, there are days when, <laughs> of course, I would rather be doing other things, but who doesn't have those days? Sure. So when you go home um, in the evening or whenever, because who knows, I don't know if your hours... And as we know in treatment, hours can be kind of wild. But whenever you go yeah. home after um, working there with with people that are recovering, what's what's what are you taking with you? What are the gifts that you're taking with you? Hmm. 
I guess just ever the reminder that I see people at a place where they're struggling and that I was there not that long ago. And I could go back there easily enough um, that I have to be. My addiction is, you know, as far as I'm concerned, alive and well, and it it, it is a disease of the brain, and it's not curable. It can be arrested and it can be controlled, but if I don't do the things I need to do, it's going to come back and it's going to get me. I've I've learned that the hard way. You know, mm-hmm. ultimately five trips to rehab taught me that. Um, mm-hmm. And some, frankly, I had to have some devastating losses. And if I can help people not experience that, that's a gift for both of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are times where I will say to people, this is what I see you headed for. And I don't think you want that. Right. And people probably react to that in different ways, I bet. Some of them hear it and some of them aren't ready yet or it's okay, I guess. But I don't know. What do you see when you say that for people? Uh, I get, you're right, a whole host of reactions. Some people get angry say, who the hell are you to tell me something like that? Other people say, I never thought of it that way. Thank you. I'll think about that. Others are just, they don't say anything, but you can tell they're taking it in. And, of course, I don't say it to everybody. It's just uh, in a situation where I think somebody's at a point where they can hear it, for one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as you better do. Yeah. You're breaking up a little bit. We can't hear you. Well. Oh, I'm sorry. Now you're back. That's okay. Just now you're back. Yeah. So... So some of them, you say some of them, react, people react in different ways? Yeah, some are angry and some are grateful. And, again, it's something that I, I don't say very often. When I do say it, I try to say it when I think the person is ready to hear it. That uh, you, the choices you're making right now could lead to uh, some pretty devastating consequences, and I'd like to see you avoid that if you can help it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a little different than working in a treatment center because I get people who are all over the map and some of them just aren't ready. When you're working in a treatment facility, generally people, you know, some of them are there by court order, of course, and aren't real happy about it. But generally people are, are ready to take a look at their behavior and what's going on and what is it that they could change to make their lives better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in, where you're working, it's more people are trying to figure out how to manage their pain in other ways besides with with uh, uh, drugs. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, some of what I do is just counseling on simple things like uh, transcendental meditation and what's known as the relaxation response. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we have a biofeedback program, and I teach people how to do breathing through that. Breathing is a very important part of pain management. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so it's also an important part of recovery. <laughs> yeah, it is. Because <laughs> it is a lot of that stress, yeah, from not breathing yeah. very well. Uh-huh. Right. Fight or flight, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it helps you calm down when you're breathing more fully. Is that it? Yeah, yeah, when you're, people sometimes get to a place where they're taking very shallow breaths and they can't understand why they're feeling anxious or they feel like they can't get their breath. And what they need to do then is make a really focused effort to breathe deeply in through the nose, out through the mouth, sit in a comfortable position. Meditation, really. Right. Yeah, it really is. It is. Well, I know that your relationship uh, with your family has improved or you've been able to keep those connections. Is that right? I think you had a daughter just graduated, right? Yep, yep. Um, Actually, both daughters, one graduated last year from college and the other graduated just a a month ago uh, Mm -hmm. from college. They were Mm back-to-back. Um. That was the single hardest thing for me in in that leaving the home was I 
hadn't really thought much about being a father and my ex had talked me into it and when I did it was that was the single probably greatest transformation in my life short of what I went through when I entered into recovery this last time was having children uh, what a wonderful and treasured experience that was and to leave the home when they were 12 and 13 um, was devastating to say the least Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. still kind of leaves a hole, and that's not something that I'm sure will ever entirely heal. But I will say that we have a, a very good relationship now, and it's very positive and very loving. I don't get to see them enough because they're busier than all get out as young adults are. But it's a small complaint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's the, I'm sure one of the big gifts of recovery. You know, the other person, and I just want to acknowledge this, as long as we're talking about family, who was a huge, huge um, source of strength for me was my father. And he's still alive today. He's 94. He uh, unfortunately just fell and fractured a vertebrae in his back. But uh, he, when I was out in western Minnesota in the Timbuktu going to the treatment program there for 90 days, he came and saw me every weekend. And wow. he was the only person in the family who did. And even at age 87 or whatever it was, he was at that point, he would be there every Saturday. And uh, that was just huge. Just mm-hmm. huge. He's a wonderful man. has taught me just wonderful things about being a human being. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. That's neat. Yeah, it matters. It matters to have that kind of that kind of support, knowing that uh, knowing that you're grounded in people yes. that love you for sure. Right. Well, we're about at the end of our um, program here, but what words of wisdom would you leave us with today, Davis? Mm. Well, certainly don't ever give up and keep the hope up. And if you don't have hope, then ask for help. Never, ever be afraid to ask for help. That's one of the hardest things we do, but you will be rewarded tenfold when you ask for help. All right. Good good words, good thoughts, good recovery. So, Davis, thank you for being my guest. Um, you've really uh, blessed us. You brought us a lot of really uh, important ideas and a beautiful, beautiful story about Mary the Butterfly and about your yes. your butterfly life. So thanks for being That's my right. guest. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Anna. I appreciate it, and you take good care. All right, you too. And listeners, thanks for being with us today. You have a great week, and we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach. Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world.
We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down.